was talking about uh, visualization the other night, Sunday night. And um, see people can develop this in some traditions to a refined and uh, profound degree. Maybe something that you know you find yourself drawn to or interested in. Certainly recognize the tremendous ability of the mind to conjure up images. <laughs> and uh, what are called these, these uh, nimitas. Yeah. So marked with uh, greed, hatred, delusion. <laughs> you know, often the involuntary nimitas, or perhaps, you know, worry, obsessive thoughts, craving, irritation. And you get these kind of, you feel the emotional mark of it. And uh, although the, most of us live in an image world which is relatively pallid, you know, it's not three-dimensional technicolor. Perhaps when you come on retreat, suddenly some of those, those images, imagery comes up very strong and uh, potent. Yeah, and it's quite alarming. And what, what, what occurs, is if in a way, is the... Um, you know, the, so if you somehow the emotive material of the mind is getting dredged up, and uh, all the potency of uh, worry or irritation or frustration, you know, all that emotional potency gets projected into a particular thought topic, and it becomes highly charged, isn't it? Yeah. And maybe this is um, saddening and sobering, but perhaps even illuminating. <laughs> you see it like that, because you, you, suddenly you see a tendency which is, is most of the time relatively weak because it's so scattered. You see it for what it is, and you realize what's, what's behind all those dis, uh, rambling thoughts and flickering moods. And there's a, you, you see the, uh, uh, the push of it all. You know, based upon forms of, of of defilement and compulsion. As I say, normally it's so scattered that we just don't really, you know, notice it or have to dwell in it. It's when you have to sit in it and there's nothing much else to take your attention away. You, you, you kind of feel the, the luminosity, the power of it. And it reminds us of what would it be like if that, if that power was harnessed to visualizing a Buddha. <laughs> instead of visualizing a Big Mac or a <laughs> holiday or <laughs> something like that, you know, what do you, if his harness was visualizing a Buddha, what kind of nimitta would arise then? You know, something to do with, uh, you know, conscious, uh, deliberate, uh, uh, serene, you know, giving the impression of serenity or comfort rather than of, of stoking up the fires. Mm. So it's a good thing to. Bear in mind, you know, Buddha, death. It's even one of the recommended meditation topics is just to imagine a, a body, a dead body. Well, and it depends what you're, what you're, what you're drawn towards. You know, so particularly people who, with the, the lust tendency, we keep thinking of bodies. Just put a few maggots in them. <laughs> Helps to tone it down a bit, <laughs> you know. Or even, even your own body. You know, imagine what it's like three days dead. 
know, or even the, the, the aging process, what it's like when the skin dries or flakes, or the hair falls out, teeth start to decay, uh, veins distend or the, the skin tone weakens or the muscle tone changes, it becomes skinny or flabby or wrinkly, you know, and really you can, you can develop conscious uh, thinking in that particular way. And then what, what's the nimitta that arises? What's the mood that arises? Disinterest, yeah. steadying, not excited, not uh, rushing around, not eager, but held, steady, checked. Yeah, it's not that you have to take these things at a literal level. This is all that all that a human life is about. As a final statement, but when you're combating these these unskillful nimitters, you use any means you can. The result, what I hope is, the mind steadies, comes out of its trance, comes out of its hallucinations, and you uh, and you can act more freely, clearly. Dispassionately, and when the recognize also when the mind is steady, dispassionate, then it's naturally it's joyful, it's kind, it's gentle, it's harmless. So even a distasteful or or repulsive nimitta, used in the, in the right way, takes us back to something more like a, a a core intent of our practice. It's not there to. To me, we have an ideological aversion to everything, but as a as a combat weapon, combat means. Very often, we consider, yeah, yeah. Buddha Nusati, contemplation of Buddha, taking refuge. Then to really, even if you're not very good at visualization, just to bring up those reflections and thoughts that give you a feeling of being you know, in refuge. What does this mean? It means you're welcome here. You know, relax. You're welcome. There's something good going for you. Something on your side. Mm. What it's like to be in a space where you're be feeling blessed, encouraged, gladdened. You know, somebody's saying, oh, good, come this way. You know, I want to help you. And whatever images or impressions or visual uh, forms can encourage that, where the mind steadies. For myself, I often use just a, a nimitta or impression of, of light, gentle light. My Buddha is pretty formless. Uh, light or warmth something like a tactile quality is if you're sitting somewhere really warm, pleasant, and your body can sit in that. It feels less stressed, less meeting the challenge. Yeah. More satisfied. I don't know whether this is just a personal tendency or that it's something that's quite common for people, but... Uh, um, various psychological 
contacts and impressions and pressures and urgencies. My body often has the feeling like I'm walking through driving rain. You know, <laughs> you know it's just kind of pushing against this incredible torrent of stuff that's rushing towards you. It's cold and, and you don't want it. You know, that, that's so often my body impression is rather like that. I've actually got to come to something saying, just relax, you're safe, it's warm, there's no pressure, you don't have to hurry, find, defend, make, do, just just be here and we'll do it for you. You know, <laughs> something that says that. <laughs> rather than, you're out there on your own, mate, get going, there's a long way across the moor and it's belting with rain, which is more like the, the kind of felt impression one gets. Uh, I get, you know. So just to come out of that, it's it's fine. You know, you're in something that's going to lift you. You're on a boat. Mm. These to me are all little things that I learn from the experience and uh, you know, build up a kind of nimitta, which some of it's visual, some of it's a bit tactile, some of it's kind of emotive, it's got certain suggestions to it. Then it, it distills into something, you know, that the whole the mind steadies in, oh. and then I can actually almost feel that steadiness and just breathe into it, take it in as I breathe in, relax into it as I breathe out. Mm. As I've said uh, before, I don't generally wouldn't recommend doing too much intensive focusing on breathing until you've established a skillful place to come from. In my recommendation, take it or leave it. Yeah, if you're coming from a place where it's a lot of work and you've got to get this right and hurry up and you better get there, then I don't really see that that nimitta is going to help you meditation. <laughs> that's why I've been encouraging recollection so much in this retreat. And that's what I do. Yeah. Sometimes we really can't get to, to the, the breathing. I had a strong cup of coffee with Tansudna the other morning and I came in here and sat down and thought, first thing that came was, look, don't even try, you know. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a start. <laughs> you know, mindfulness of breathing is just nowhere near. Just sit here and try to keep your body on the ground. <laughs> that was the that was the meditation. The incredible rush of energy just sitting there kind of <laughs> in it. <laughs> you know, body, ground, here we are, you know, just just be with this. And that, that was okay. <laughs> it's kind of nice because it was so choiceless that there wasn't a lot of doubt or worry or, or room to get agitated about it. You just you know, you're on a rocket, you just you just sit there. It's quite calming in a way. It's a lot of the cho- time we have this kind of choice, don't we? We think we have a choice. So you're thinking about something, well, stop it. Maybe I should do it. I don't think about it. But I really ought to bear this in mind because in two months' time we'll be doing it. No, no, it doesn't matter now. Oh. What happened to my Uncle Joe? Because he wasn't feeling so well. When I come, no, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? But maybe I ought to phone him up. Perhaps I would write him a letter or something. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but... Well, he's my uncle. You know, just back to the breath, okay. It wouldn't take me long to write to Joe after all, just a quick letter. You know. okay, so, 
and so on and so forth. So you get this kind of tick, 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 tick. You said, oh, I'm not meditating anyway, you know, I'm just sitting here fretting, so I might as well go off and do it anyway. And you do that thing. Or about Auntie Eileen as well, come to think of it, you know. So, you know, you can kind of spool off onto these things, because, you, you know, because we don't really know what to do when your mind is doing this. You can't really push it down. Yeah. So one of the um, things with uh, cultivating thinking is we just explore the, the, the felt impression of it, the felt sense of it. Like, oh, it's, it's like a sense of worry, or not even worry, but a sense of pressure. A sense of pressure of some kind. Hmm. And we may think, what do we do about this? Well, first we just feel the sense of the pressure, the being held, that's how the body registers it. You know, tingling in the palms, a lot of energy in the head, something tightening in the abdomen. And say, well, what, what do you, what does the body, what does the body need right now? What would you like to know? Probably just say, oh, I'd like to relax actually. Yeah, mm. and of course, normally a way of relaxing it will do the thing, then it'll be over with. Then you can relax, right? Just do it, and then that's that. One's off your plate, so now you can sit back. <laughs> and then, of course, the problem is that another thing pops on the plate. Once you put the plate out there, some more stuff plops onto it. So it is, uh, you know, recognizing that with all these, the pressures to do is really the pressures to arrive at a place of no pressure, isn't it? And could we arrive there in another way? So, systematic attention, Yonisomani Sikara, sense of delving in and uh, okay you know you've got some thinking going on so rather than just uh, quibble and squabble about it what's what's this what's the feeling of this then mm. feeling it out in the body the intent how it's affecting one's intent is one's intent coming from agitation or what's it about mm. and where does this uh, come to ceasing, which doesn't mean annihilation, it means it comes to a place of rest. There's no longer the pressure, there's no longer the push. There's no longer the being proliferating, being caught in it. Sometimes for me this is this is a main practice, you know. So in the position find myself in, you get pieces of business come in. Even in retreats, I say, well, this is rather urgent, matters, and then, oh dear, let's deal with this. So you can go into that kind of thing. Or you can do it thinking, oh, I wish I wasn't doing this, it's really, you know, disturbing me, and then you go into that. Or something you can say, okay, well, what's the intent here? Mm. Now, could you just relax by just... Um, don't worry about it. No. Just do what 
is asked or do what is priority or do what's really needed knowing you know this is something that's being asked or needed it's always a bit of a a challenge to really sieve through and filter out what is the priority in any particular moment in one's life retreat time we're certainly prioritizing this is the time to not be doing <clears throat> that's the priority those that explore one's doing explore one's expectations hopes wishes doubts worries you know get so we get a handle on these patterns a patterning in life so yeah for the moment we're kind of just holding back the topics and trying to understand how they affect us the patterning that occurs where we're wired where we get gladdened or irritated or despondent because these are so important these are the life patterns and we're having a chance to really reveal those it's uncomfortable to reveal them but reveal them and find the space and the balancing to just hold that and let it find its place where it's going to rest so your life takes its own creative form out of the practice rather than out of deciding from your head or from somebody's opinion what you should do your life gets formed by the practice saying well myself doesn't want this I don't want this but this is right or I'd really like this but Sorry, that's not on, you know. That's not that's not going for the right place. And we have to, you know, this is really interesting, I think. And what helps us is actually, you know, we have the basic outlines of the Dharma, but really, you know, what what is I think so wonderful is that all the time you're actually just referring to your to your own um, your own truthfulness not to some, really some external standard. You learn to find that truthfulness, that sense where things are just resonant and that's that. And uh, well, it's in it very much in the here and now of your own awareness. When your awareness is full and steadied, where it finds the place of, it stops. It stops agitating, it stops worrying, complaining, criticizing. It just it stops. And then you're, you're holding that and you... You feel a sense of that's the way my life shapes up. For now, anyway. So, you know, visualizing, or perhaps I might say just imaging or imagining, creating images or suggesting or asking what the image is. Remember, as I said, all these all these thought forms that occur are really the waves on top of currents, emotive currents that we perhaps don't see because of the waves and the froth on the waves, or maybe we see them vaguely, you know, they're worrying or doubtful or uh, restless or something, you know. But that that really that way of seeing it isn't really adequate. Still, just thinking it, still just interpreting it, still, and there's a judgment with that. 
So when we take it a little deeper, you say, well, just what's the, what's the feeling of it? You know, the tide, the suck, the push, darkness, the bubbling, the volcanic pressures, the sinking, the sagging, something like that. You can feel it, and you can almost feel it, the effect on the body. Sometimes it comes to be a very clear image, like something dragging you, you know, you're dragged or squashed, you know, something pressing you down or something blowing you up. And then just, okay, so that's, that's your, that maybe your image. It may become visual, it may not. Maybe just the kind of overall tonal sense. And then, but as you, particularly as you refer that to your, how your body feels, then you've got a way of just holding it. Not doing anything more, just holding it. And then when you hold it, this is where the, the awareness and the Dhamma gets to work. Rather than holding it and then thinking, you know, or deciding or reacting in some way or another. It's, okay, so here I am with this. You know, when, I'm a, when there's awareness and one is... Uh, not going into those reactions or reflexes, what happens? Mm-hmm. What happens when, when there's a we give give up struggling with it? We give up clinging to it, wanting it to go away, wanting to change it. We give up the vol- volitional push against it or with it. We give up the volition. This to me is the, the core of the, of the Four Noble Truths, the complete relinquishment, passionless abandonment, complete letting go of every form of wanting. The, the core of the, of the, the, the very uh, turning point, hinge point of the practice. So we're not jumping to another place, we're not dismissing the topic, we're not leaving the territory, we're not adding more to the mix, we're just the sense of full awareness and giving up volition within that. And what happens? You know? This is the, the mystery, the risk, the unknowable. To me, what happens is some kind of shift happens. There's a sense of uh, a relaxing or a confidence that is not from uh, my personality. Something says, you know, you're all right here. You don't, you don't need to do anything with this. You don't need to make any judgments about this. You're all right. Because it's taken it to a place beyond the personality level. The personality level is primarily the thinking and the emotional um, patterning. Hmm? These are the patternings that get established as our identity in our life. Yeah. You understand that? See how that happens? You know, what, what, how one's kind of learnt to respond. Yeah. So it becomes natural or innate. The 
ways we've learnt or become accustomed to considering, referring to ourselves, perhaps none too graciously at times. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever hear, when you listen to your voice, do you, do you think that's you speaking? You hear that sound in your head, you think that's, you know, talking about you? Is that, is that refuge? Is that Buddha talking? <laughs> you know? And is it gracious? Dispassionate, wise, serene? Mine isn't. Yeah, so that's, that's we've kind of internalized something. And it's uh, not always so beautiful what one has internalized to become one's um, lord and guide. That's patterning. Sankara, emotional patterning, the uh, doubt about oneself. Yeah. Uh, you know, emotional patterning may very well be that in a kind of group um, so society, behavioral norms you're going to live up, match up, compete, be better than role models, all this sort of stuff coming through you so you always feel a bit like the runt of the litter maybe you know struggling to to meet up with the model who is actually a fantasy. Someone patterns in a kind of sense of uh, fundamental not quite good enough. You You don't even trust yourself anymore. You trust there's some... So that, 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 you know, you trust some notion or idea. Some could be a role model of some great Ajahn, you know. He never saw or met. We didn't know him when he was struggling. You get this nice image. Yeah, great. That's fine as you hold it as a, as a, as a purely as a nimiter, but you try and become a nimiter. <laughs> you, know, you can use a nimiter like Buddha or Ajahn Man or Ajahn Chah just to kind of help you steady, but don't expect to become a nimiter. I don't think they were. So yeah, you know, you get this kind of emotional patterning going on. <coughs> this is what we call the, you know, the personality conditioning. So it's not so good, is it? it? Seems like dukkha to me. I don't really see that's going to give me. I take my answers and my lessons and my and my guidance from something that's dukkha. You know, do you know where it's going to take you? <laughs> it's pretty obvious, isn't it, really? <laughs> you know, it may be like uh, take you from a hot spot to a different hot spot or a place that seems, it's like fidgeting in a chair, isn't it? You go from uncomfortable, you have a little fidget, oh, it feels better. You like, oh, oh, we're just fidget, you know, because it hasn't actually got the resources to take one to the good place. <laughs> so we get the sangsara shuffle. 
So where is that? Where do we get it from? Where do we get the good place from? Well, I, I haven't got it. I can't do it. Uh, you know, just the basket case. Uh, doubt, riddled with inadequacy, restless, impatient, you know, the, the guilt-ridden. <laughs> all this, you know, you can go into all the analysis of why it's like that. Because, it, it, but in meditation or Dhamma practice, it, it's not, you're not saying that's all you are, you know. That's what we kind of get focused on because the normal social interface that's really those are the two areas that come into play but with recollection and meditation you're trying to comes yeah there is that there's something else Mm. might say a fundamental intent you know may all beings may i be well oh that's nice you know let's breathe a bit of that may i be well may i be free from suffering Mm Hmm. perhaps it's not easy to verbalize but what takes us into this what gives us determination the going forth mind the bodhicitta the that you know and it's not always verbal and even the verbalizations can be um you know really not mock verbalizations like ventriloquy from the brain, saying the right words. It's got a lot. To me, the intent is much more something that becomes obvious when uh, at that place of the uh, of holding the thought or the feeling or the emotion. That's to me where the, the intent becomes clear. You know, not necessarily verbal. It's a sense of presence. <coughs> You know, simplicity. There's not a lot to do. It's just saying something like, relax. You're all right. Be there. Wake up. You know, it's that kind of thing. Just, there you are. You know. Not much. That that intent. And then something, then something seems to occur that's beyond intent. Kind of some kind of release. So intent, I don't say intent is like an unconditioned uh, thing or an unconditioned phenomena, but it is is almost like the the bit of the system that that you can trust that triggers the release. And if you look in the you know teachings like Anapanasati, you sieve down through the through the um, emotive stuff. Calm the thinking mind, get into the body, sift down through emotive stuff, and you come to this quality of chitta, and you gladden it, you celebrate it, you you get into it, you rejoice in it, you steady it, and you free it mm. from attachment to these particular forms. Then, I don't say this is itself a final liberation, <clears throat> but it is uh, purifying, it is composing. It is collecting everything into this one point which can then trigger a kind of release. This is my um, understanding of that. Uh, If that's so, and if it's worth testing out, then you you try to check in with that in other forms of your your life, of how you experience things. What's it like when we 
hold the emotion, push as it is. So that one begins to recognize when one does hold it, the thinking mind, the motive mind, then, and, and you, you're not, you feel the push of it, the pressures of it, the tugging of it, and just feel it as pressure, tugging, pushing, sinking, flailing, whatever it is. Then it's just, this is, you sort of step out of it, just by, just by really acknowledging it. Something shifts out of it. There's a space, there's a shifting out, which doesn't, doesn't dismiss it. It just opens to a larger perspective. And the volition, therefore, is no longer going into it. So it, it tends to calm, steady, and you can just rest in the knowing or the awareness of that. When the volition, volitional energy, the karma energy, the energy of creation or what's called becoming and non-becoming, the two fundamental views, when that is no longer being engaged in that way, formations stop. It's into cease activation. The two two views, becoming, non-becoming. Becoming is something that pushes us to get more into that thought or that feeling. Get in there, develop it. This is going to take you to a good place. You know, follow this one. This is not necessarily voluntary. Kind of tremendous magnetic pull of that of that becoming means you want to enhance and get on with that particular mood, thought, fantasy. You know, it drags you in. The other is, you're really trying to get away from it. You're trying to back off, get away, run away. Mm. I remember the story of a man who was here many years ago, done lots and lots of these intensive 10-day retreats and uh, you know stuff coming up. I think he was in IMS at the time or somewhere out in the States. So he just this thing, this thought came up in his mind. He just, he just, he just got up and he left the hall. And he left on his thought following. He started running. He ran ten miles with his thought <laughs> hounding him, <laughs> pressing, <laughs> trying to get away from it. <laughs> and then after ten miles, he just stopped and turned round. And the thought, once he did that, the thought just went bloop. <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> you know, this is the, you see the the, the non-becoming or that push to get away, so you can actually capture your whole being. Why people suddenly leave retreats? You know, suddenly get up and they just got to run. They got to go. It's it's uh, beyond reason. Just deeper than that. Yeah. Can you, you know, hopefully it doesn't get that intense, but can we hold some of these energies, forces in our bodies rather than, you know, um, 
be uh, captured by them, saying, well, okay, this is the kind of thing you can expect, you know, maybe in lesser diluted forms, you can, you can feel these things, this is not, don't, you know, make a thing out of it, this is something that's, if you're not um, an arahant, this is the kind of things you, that come up, tremendous pushes, involuntary pushes that capture you. So rather than, you know, doubt, react, you know, there is process of just holding that. Why I suggest this process of manasikara and even visualizing it, because <coughs> obviously if you don't do that, then you te- one tends to think about one's thoughts, think about one's emotions, or emotionally react to one's thoughts, or emotionally react to one's emotions, or most likely think and emotionally react to one's thoughts and, rea- and reactions. So you just kind of intensify the mix. You know, it just adds more to it. If we don't have anything else to go to apart from those two bases, then, you know, where's the way out? But if you use the facility of thinking, but use it in a different way towards just simplifying, it's crystallizing the meaning, the emotive meaning. Mm. And then either directly, you can either directly contrast it, you know, that which images that generate craving or lust, you look at the you bring up images that generate the opposite. Images that bring up worry and restlessness. You bring up images that generate the opposite. Death, Buddha, meditate, you know, these things, shrine. Um, get some sense of seeing your life in a bigger perspective than what those personality tendencies see you as. Or you just, or, you know, so that's why you directly counteract it. You start to examine it. Hold it and examine it. Remember in my... So my early, earlier days, trials, <laughs> and a few months or so of meditation as a, as a summon era, then I think, oh God, this is too, you know, it's too much, too much. I think what I, what I really want to do is just, just live simple and, uh, and um, maybe just find a place, live in the country, have some goats and grow carrots. That's where, yeah. Grow a beard, write poems. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. I've got it's a fantasy. What I really wanted to do. Well, I've got, and I sort of developed it to become really, really hokey and corny. You know, <laughs> still it became so ridiculous. Like I couldn't believe in it anymore. <laughs> I even got down to thinking. Well, maybe being a milkman is where it's at. You know. Because you get up early, you don't have to go in the hurly-burly of traffic and stuff. You just cruise around in your little milk cart at four o'clock in the morning. Everybody's glad to see you. Put some milk on, you're doing good, nourishing people. 
go back home, work's over by eight, that's the rest of the day's off, you know. And I thought, and I thought so, how many blissful milkmen do you know? <laughs> Perhaps it's not like that. <laughs> Obviously, you can challenge it that way. The story of Ajahn, Ajahn Lee, when he was a young monk, and he'd thought of disrobing, and he was going to get married. He went through this whole thing where he actually visualized the whole story, the whole soap opera of it. You know, finds this lady, gets married, they have kids, da-da-da-da-da, the kids grow up, they need more shoes, they've got to go to school, the wife dies, the kids get sick, and he went through the whole thing, uh, until eventually, by after about an hour or so, he got through this whole life story to the point where he thought, I've had enough of this, I want to become a monk. <laughs> and he thought, well, you already are one, you know. <laughs> so sometimes it's like that, you know, you, you can't take it right through to its logical con- conclusions of what really <laughs> you can expect. <laughs> Or you can take it a deeper level than that, than this just this rational process. You imagine it, as as I say, just feeling the the felt impression of that, and then really right now, really right now, what what right now, what would you what do you want right now? What would what would be the feeling that your system actually needs? Sometimes it just says something like, "Well, just relax." So most of the time, it's what mind says. Doesn't mean you know this is the this is the whole story. It just says right now, just relax, and you just relax, and you come out of that because all of the hindrances seem to grip and have a tension to them. Oh, now then, okay, now we'll just focus on this. Just just get simple. You need some ground now. You know you've come out of that. You relax now. That now just take some ground. Just be breathe out. Be in your body. That's what you need to do. Just sharpen up. Steady up. You know, feeling really tired, you know, sleepy and all night sit. Then it's relaxed. It doesn't mean go to sleep. It means, you know, come out of that kind of, um, oh, it shouldn't be like this. I want to do this. How can I, another hour to go? Just, just drop that and open your eyes, take a breath, stand up, walk up and down. There you go. It's not that difficult. It's not going to kill you. No. Rather than all the proliferations about everything else. You come out of the grip, out of the wrestler's grip, you slip out and then, you know, establish ground. Can be just stand, open your eyes. You know, simple thing like that, just open your eyes. It take a lot, you know, because when you do that, you immediately um, dilute the potency of how much you're gonna get caught in your thoughts. And then let it be really wide taking in the, the shrine, the space, the Buddha, opening up to that. Stand, feel the pressure, the groundedness of the floor underneath you. This is the only place you can be right now is where you already are. You know, and really getting that into the body. You know, and it's okay here. For one moment it's okay. And then for another moment, it's okay. And gradually, you, you come out of the, the cyclones of the 
pushes and pulls of, of these formations. And yeah, you know, you've, well, you see just how potent they really are. This is, you know, nothing to degrade yourself with to say, you know, hey, you, know, you need some help here. You've got there's some really potent stuff happening for you. You know, don't start beating yourself up about it. Um, but you do need to some some help, and you can provide it. You know? Personality, you can't. Why we choose this form and going forth and these reflections and dropping into a form, but um, which doesn't fit us personality-wise. But it's to not to try to make it fit us personality-wise, but to use it as something that takes us out. You don't domesticate the holy life. Mm. real temptation isn't it make it more everything that I really like you know so it becomes like a little club <laughs> but I don't want to go where my patterning wants to go I want to come out of it you know And there is a way out. It's not just to make it to have a difficult time, but there is a way out. We can meet this. There is a way out. And the Buddha says, if you couldn't do this, I wouldn't teach it. If it wasn't for your welfare, I wouldn't teach it. Because it is for your welfare, I teach it. Because you can do it, I teach it. Because it does take you out of suffering, I teach it. Mm. And in a way, the responsibility is ours, isn't it? For our own welfare. So I really, really uh, take refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, as a form. And what does that mean to me? What does that mean as something that can hold me? Sometimes it's just really a lot of something that's really kind and allowing and uh, befriending. Mm. Something that's very simple, so just present moment. Stay there, you're all right. Stay with it. And how the and if I dwell in that, then I start to get some kind of impressions, images come up. I can develop those images so they become things I can more or less reach for when when things go off, when it goes out in the water. You know, you've got your refuge life raft with you. You can refine these limiters of the breathing, the brightness, the lightness, the flowing, the easy, the natural, the simplicity of it, you know. Focus on the, the that kind of impression rather than where you're getting exactly the right sensation and you're going to be good at it when you're developing jhana and this and the other. Worry, nimitta. Nimitta of 
of, hey, look, this is happening already. Hey, it's it's good for you. Hey, it's easy. Hey, it's you're with that, you know, and um, or something's with it. Get where it is. Get where it is. And tune in where it is. And then you're feeling of something that holds and floods and flushes, and you get the quality of joy, uplift, ease, and the whole system really, really appreciates that. And if it, um, yeah, and then if the if the floods are too strong or you can't make that, then reflect, recollect, use these other skills to to stabilize and uh, take you to the to the good place, to your strength, your basic strength, your basic clarity, your basic trust in yourself. 